Today, the significance of Gethsemane from Pastor Ray Bentley's study in the Gospel of Matthew. Gethsemane is a place we face God's will head on. God, what is your will for this world? What is your will for this time? What is your will for me at this hour? So Gethsemane is learning that prayer is not about getting our will done, but rather surrendering to His will. Spread the news of His people coming down before the King. Lift your voice, Jesus is coming, join the song. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Certain locations are known for their spiritual significance, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee. Today, we'll uncover the biblical significance of the Garden of Gethsemane. The name may sound familiar, but after today, you'll realize the depth of what it represents. Glad you're along for Pastor Ray's study today. I want you to, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew. And what we're going to talk about today is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the title of the message is, What Jesus' Prayer Means for You. So these are kind of the little application points as we go through the story. But Gethsemane is the place of coming to terms with the will of God. And Jesus is our example. So beginning in verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So here where all of us were crushed, Jesus now goes in to pray. He begins to become very emotional. He becomes very uh, distressed. He becomes so sorrowful and emotionally burdened with passion He literally is afraid I might die here praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I can't. I've I've got to go fulfill my calling from my Father, which is going to the cross. That's what he had said from the beginning and all the way to the end, and now here he is there. But now he is here to pray and talk to his Father about the cross, and he's going to be talking to his Father about, is this your will? So Gethsemane was a great pause from Good Friday where Jesus was crucified and then buried and on the third day resurrected from the dead. Those are the events that are coming. But now there's a dramatic divine pause. And that's what, this is before Jesus went to the cross. This is before the nails went into his hands or they drove a spike into his feet. This was mental grief. This was spiritual distress. This was causing him to go and to pray and say, Father, is this really what you have called me to do? Is this truly your will? If it's possible, let this cup pass. And all of that weight was upon him. 
And I want you to note that in his Gethsemane, the answer to his Gethsemane was to pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, began to be sorrowful, deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Jesus said, Peter, James, and John, I'm going to pray. I need to talk to my father, but I need you. When he says, I want you to watch with me, what Jesus was really asking was, I need you to stay awake with me tonight. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know that you're worried. And I know that you're afraid. And all of those emotions, fear, worry, and anxiety, they have an effect upon us in a physical sense. You you get exhausted. You get wiped out. And I believe that the Lord just started saying to me, hey, this is a Gethsemane moment. And there are a lot of people in my house and a lot of people that are in my church that are asleep. They do not realize what time it is. They do not realize how near, just like the disciples then did not realize how soon it would be, hours away, Jesus would be on the cross, buried. The third day, risen, appearing for 40 days. And then Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is outpouring. But it all happened so fast. And I believe that they were not really awake to it. And so I'm wondering if the Lord is saying, I need my people to wake up. I'm not going to just, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen super fast, but I'm still shaking the earth. I'm shaking everything that can be shaken so that only the things that cannot be shaken shall remain. Well, let's look at the next verse. Prayer is not about getting our will done, but surrendering to God's will. So listen to this in verse 39. It says, he, Jesus, went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, Abba, is the Hebrew word for Abba, daddy, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here's the heart of Jesus' prayer when he finally got down upon his knees, and when he looked up and began talking to his father, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup. And by the way, the analogy of a cup is that cup represents the cross. It represents the suffering. It represents uh, him becoming the sin of all humanity laid upon his shoulders, him becoming our substitute, our sacrifice, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Him who knew no sin would be made sin, our sin laid upon him so that then he would suffer and then die for the wages of sin is death. He's the only one who did not deserve to die. He's the only human being that ever lived a pure life, a holy life and a righteous life. But that's what qualified him to be our lamb, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. But now in Gethsemane, he's saying, Father, let this cup pass. So the suffering of the cross is represented in a cup. And all through the Old Testament prophets, the wrath of God, the judgment of God against sin, against evil, against demonic things would be described as a cup of the justice of God or the wrath of God or the punishment of God against evil. 
And Jesus is now saying, well, I'm going to be drinking that cup of all humanity's sin and shame and guilt and then finally death itself. Father, Abba, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So I want you to look at this and what Jesus is saying here. Gethsemane is a place we face God's will head on. God, what is your will for this world? What is your will for this time? What is your will for me at this hour? Gethsemane for us also represents when we honestly and clearly look at what God has called us to do and how to live our lives. It's when we consider the call of God and then we count the cost. What is it going to cost, Father, for me to be the man you've called me to be, the woman you've called me to be, the husband, the wife, a father, a daughter, son, a child of God? What is the cost? So Gethsemane, and I love this, Gethsemane is learning that prayer is not about getting our will done, but rather surrendering to his will. Now, here's what's also interesting as Jesus, this is the preparation place for Jesus to go to the cross. And he went into not only Gethsemane, which we discussed means an olive press, and the obvious implications and layers of meaning for Jesus, but also it was a garden, the garden of Gethsemane, a garden of olive trees, Does that remind you of anything? The Bible says, the prophet Isaiah, that God has told us the end from the beginning. And you know, when you look at the Bible, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, the first man, whose name was Adam, and his wife Eve, were in a garden on the top of a mountain. And every day they walked with God in the cool of the evening. That's where mankind started. Why now is Jesus in a garden? Because that's where mankind began, Adam and Eve. And you know, we know the story of the trees. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there was the tree of life. And the Lord had specifically said to them, I do not want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And essentially, Adam and Eve fell to the temptation, the serpent came, more subtle than all the other creatures, and we believe that the devil came, used the serpent to say, oh, has God not said that you can eat of every tree in the garden? Oh, yes, we can eat of every tree, but we're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would God be holding out on you? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. The serpent said, oh, he knows that in the day that you eat the knowledge of good and evil, and the fruit from that tree, you shall be as gods. You'll be little gods, just like God is God. In other words, Satan's first temptation was, why would you do the will of God when you can do your own will and be your own decider of what your life will be? In other words, Satan said, your prayer or your heart's desire should be not your will, God, but mine shall be done. But now, here is Jesus, which the New Testament calls a new Adam, or really a last Adam. He's the beginning of a whole new race of men, women, boys, and girls who will come from him, born again 
first of the flesh, but now born again of the Spirit. So this is our Adam. And this Adam, Jesus, is now giving what should have been done by the original Adam in the Garden of Eden. Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, your will be done. So where Adam failed in the Garden of Eden, Jesus succeeds in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, we've received encouraging comments from listeners around the country and also near to home. We have been listening to Pastor Ray for 25 years. He was always excited to preach about Jesus and couldn't wait to see him face to face. Now he is happy with the Lord with no more pain or sadness. Thank you for leading our family with your easy to understand sermons every week. May the Lord give comfort and strength to the Bentley family. Although he's gone home, his teachings continue here on the radio thanks to the support from listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with Ray Bentley Ministries and Maranatha Radio, just go to our website at www.raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. As we think about this suffering that Jesus went through, we learn that prayer that delivers from temptation is dependence upon God. If we want to learn, okay, what can I learn from Jesus in the hour of anguish, in the hour of being crushed, in the hour of our Gethsemane, we learn that he reached out even more in his anguish and more in his pain to cry out to the Father, I need you, Father. I don't want to be separated from you, my Father. I want to be dependent upon you, my Father. I want thy will, not my will, but thy will be done. So we read, beginning in verse 40, and then he, Jesus, came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, Jesus. He is saying to all of us, you look, I know you were saying you want to be with me. And Peter was the very one that would deny the Lord as the night goes on. Literally just a few hours later, Peter will be denying Jesus. Though earlier it said, though all of them forsake you, I will not, Lord, I will die for you. He was weak. And in the hour of temptation, that's when we need to pray. And prayer is dependence. Lord, I can't do it in my own ability, in my own strength. I need your strength. I need your spirit. I need your help. I need your attention. I want to be in relationship with you. Let me not be separated from you. I love how at the most, you know, this was the greatest hour of suffering. In fact, it was only second to the suffering of the cross itself. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus leaned into his father. He cried out to his father. He drew near to his father. Let me say that here's what the enemy tries to do. In the hour of crisis, in the hour when everything, the world is falling apart and you're, under, you're being crushed, the enemy comes to accuse. If a God, he's so loving and he's so kind, he's letting you go through all of this, you ought to abandon him. You ought to forsake him. You ought to start doing your own will. 
And that's the temptation that comes. And there's Peter, James, and John, who in that moment needed to be praying with Jesus and needed to be waiting on the Lord and leaning into prayer. And they did the opposite. The only human remedy for our human weakness is prayer. Jesus is not fighting the will of God. He is not resisting the will of God, but he's asking, Father, is this truly, fully, completely your will? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so I love in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, it's very comforting to me to realize that even though his human brothers, companions, disciples failed him, in that moment, we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. You know, we not only have our physical brothers and sisters, but there's a whole world in the spiritual, supernatural realm of angels. And I, it just moves me and touches me that God the Father allowed when humans failed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, even before he went to the crucifixion, he sent angels, and an angel appeared unto Jesus from heaven, ministered to him, strengthened him, comforted him. The Bible says that the angels are ministering spirits unto all the saints and the heirs of salvation. Jesus had said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And Jesus knew Peter would enter into temptation. He knew that he would fail. But prayer is personal dependence upon God. And then I want to close with this part of the message, the last part of these verses of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus teaches us to pray through. Praying through. You don't stop and you don't quit until you receive finally that answer. And so beginning in verse 42, it says, and again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away, from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. I want you to notice a second time he went and prayed the same exact prayer. You know what that tells us? My brothers and sisters, when we pray, you can pray about something more than one time. It's not only allowed, it is modeled for us by Jesus, especially if it's not yet clear. Jesus, in fact, will say the same prayer three times. He repeated the prayer three times. And the father gave him the answer three times and comforted his son and encouraged his son and gave him exactly what he needed, the answer. This is my will. And we'll talk about what that request was. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So a second time, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them, Jesus, again, sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And so he left them, and he went away again, and he prayed the third time. And of course, he prayed the same prayer the third time to his father, saying the same words, Matthew tells us. And then he came to his disciples, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. At this moment, 
Jesus got up from the prayer and he, he had his answer. He had it confirmed. And the father had come to his son, sent an angel to minister unto him and gave him the answer that he needed. Yes, son, this is what you need to do. You need to drink this cup. Yes, son, you need to go to the cross. So what was Jesus really praying? And, you know, in the final analysis, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Another way of putting that in modern English, simple, plain language would be father. If there is any other way for man to be saved other than me, your son, holy, pure, faithful, loyal, loving, to take their place and pay for their sins and have their guilt and their shame and the punishment of their sins, death come upon me. If there's any other way for man to be saved, let it come and let this cup pass. I want to say to you that no one loves the son more than the father. And no one loved the father more than the son. And they're having a conversation and a deep prayer. If there's any other way for all mankind to be saved other than the cross and burial and resurrection, let it come. And what I want to Share with you at the end here is this. If there had been some other way that man could be saved, surely the father would have said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, there is another way or it would have been found or discovered and it wasn't just once, but twice and then three times. No, son. There is no other way for all of mankind to be saved from every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe, from the oldest to the youngest. Men, and women, boys and girls, the only way for them to be saved is through the cross. And I want to say what Gethsemane testifies to us today is, if there was any other way in the universe and all of time for man to be saved other than the cross, it would have been given then out of a loving heart of a father and a son and their intimacy and eternal unity. But now in a mystery that we don't fully appreciate, comprehend, or can understand, let alone enter into, Jesus, he who knew no sin, would be made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. All of our sin and evil and wickedness and guilt and shame and rebellion and darkness and lostness was to be put on Jesus and all of his holiness and righteousness was to be given to us for our forgiveness, our healing, our salvation, and the blood of the Lamb that washes and cleanses away all of our sins. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to my Father unless he comes through me. Clear biblical truth from Pastor Ray Bentley today from our studies based in the Gospel of Matthew here on Maranatha Radio. Glad you've tuned in today. Now, this study is titled, What Jesus' Prayer Means for You. If you've missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. There at the homepage, there's a place to leave a written tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And by clicking Media, you'll see the words Watch, Radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. 
In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can arrange to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions each day automatically at no charge, and also link to his YouTube and Facebook pages. So why not bookmark it? RayBentley.com. And you'll find Pastor Ray's books, including his brand new one, The Final Witness, and The Cyrus Mandate, both page-turning prophetic fiction novels in the Elijah Chronicles series. You'll see End Times Prophecy in a whole new light. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also donate securely right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Matthew. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.